Hi folks, Andy the Taxman here. Before we get into today's program, please take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe to Grappling with Canada on any podcasting platform of your choice. Just a quick note before we begin. You are going to be hearing first-hand accounts containing disturbing descriptions of the horrific events of July 4th, 1988. This podcast is not intended for young audiences. If you find that this story and these descriptions affect you, I implore you, please reach out to a mental health professional for help. Listener discretion is strongly advised. injured a fourth. Among the dead, one name in particular very well known to wrestling fans here. The accident occurred around 9.30 last night near Lewisport, Newfoundland. A van containing four professional wrestlers suddenly plunged into a shallow stream. Dead is former WWF star adorable Adrian Adonis, seen here in the pink trunks. His real name is Keith Frank from Los Angeles. Also killed was Pat Kelly on the left. His twin brother, Mike, on the right, was the only survivor of the crash. He's in serious but stable condition. The Kelly twins are from Hamilton. Perhaps their biggest claim to fame was this chocolate bar commercial shot with another professional wrestler, Mad Dog Vachon. The third to die in the crash was Dave McKigney of Aurora. His fans knew him as Wild Man. His friends remember him differently. The tiger with a heart of gold. Kind-hearted man I've ever met. And... I'll never forget the memories when I was a little girl, him picking me up, putting me on a pony. We'd go back in the woods, pick apples, bring the sacks of apples back. For Carrie Ann Orser, the death of her stepfather completes an incredible cycle of tragedy. It was 10 years ago this past weekend that her mother was mauled to death by a bear. Wild Man, her husband, kept the bear around the house and often wrestled with him in the ring. Wild Man's son, 8-year-old Dave Jr., was traveling just a few cars behind his father's van when it crashed. He believes it blew a tire. Police in Newfoundland, however, are not so certain. They say they're continuing their investigation. I'm your host, Andy Dulovich. This is Grappling with Canada. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing the tragic and horrific events that occurred outside of Lewisport, Newfoundland in July 4th, 1988. Now, for those who are unaware of the events of July 4th, 1988, I will give you a brief overview before we get into today's program. On July 4th, 1988, just outside of Lewisport, there were four wrestlers traveling in a van. They were Dave McKigney, a wrestling promoter, Adrian Adonis, who was a wrestling superstar, and twin brothers Mike Kelly and Pat Kelly, who were from Hamilton, Ontario. These individuals were traveling down the Trans-Canada Highway when tragedy struck. Their van went off the road, and unfortunately, three individuals, Dave McKigney, 
Adrian Adonis, and Pat Kelly tragically lost their lives. Today's episode is going to explore the events that transpired on that day, July 4th, 1988. But more than that, today's episode is going to dive into what happened in Lewisport. And what I mean by that is, what happened to the residents of Lewisport? What did they deal with? What was it like for them? You see, it's been 35 years since this tragedy occurred. And there have been many tellings and retellings and stretches of the truth and fabrications and all kinds of misreporting about this incident throughout the years. And unfortunately, as time has gone on, the story gets further and further away from the truth. But what also happens is that this story gets further and further away from including the points of view of the residents of Lewisport who were there to help. You see, in 35 years, nobody has gone back and actually talked to individuals who were there. Nobody has taken the time to ask these individuals what it was like for them. Nobody has gone back and asked what happened with the community. People talk about the July 4th, 1988 incident and the loss of life of three professional wrestlers, one of which who was a megastar for um, many, many decades in various promotions, including the WWF. And that seems to be the focus. Today, we're going to put the focus on, in my opinion, and I truly mean this, the heroes from Lewisport, the individuals who stepped up in a great time of need, individuals from various walks of life who did the right thing. They put themselves in danger to help their fellow human beings. They did an incredible thing. And yes, three individuals tragically lost their lives. But to me, the bigger story is a group of people coming together to do the right thing. A group of people who heroically tried to save individuals. People they had never met before. People who they didn't even know who they were in some instances. But at the same time, people who have been forgotten by history, whose story has never been told, whose story they've never told, that changes today. Today, you're going to hear three different accounts of what happened on that fateful day. Not three different accounts in terms of You know, they had three different stories to tell. They have three different ways that everything happened. They're all three. All three of them are consistent. All three of them tell the truth, most importantly. And all three of them have a perspective that has never been shared by any media, as far as I can tell. This is a story of courage. Today is a story of the human spirit 
I'm proud that I was able to talk to these individuals, and I told all three of them in no uncertain terms. I am proud of them. They inspire me. And I hope that after you're done hearing this episode, you'll feel the same way. In my opinion, these three individuals are heroes. And the individuals who were involved in the events of that night, they're heroes, regardless of the loss of life. They did something extraordinary. Yes, they had a horrific experience. And yes, they will live with this experience, these images, this feeling for the rest of their lives. However, they don't have to live it alone. And we can all do our part to share in that. And at least listen to their stories and share our support for those in the Lewisport area, those who, like I said, still live there and those who have moved on. But the ones who stepped up in an extraordinary situation who put in an extraordinary effort. So, I think that's about enough out of me for this episode. You're not going to hear a whole lot out of me. I, Truth be told, this is not my story to tell. But I will say a couple of things before we get into this episode. We are going to talk about the true story of what happened in the Lewisport incident. There has been a quite a bit of misreporting and misrepresentation over the years and we're going to clear that up tonight in saying that getting the truth out there getting the word out there is up to you the listener so i would implore you after you listen to this episode please go to your out of your way to share this episode with your friends your family Individuals who who may be interested in the story. Individuals who are interested in the human experience. The reality is the only way that we are going to correct the history books and the only way that we are going to set the record straight is with you, the listener. So I hope that you will take that into consideration as you listen to today's episode. Now, the first conversation that you're going to hear today is from Raymond Daw. Now, Raymond was actually at a separate event that evening when he came across the scene. And there's an interesting tie-in between his events that night and what he was going to do the next day, which was all changed by the fatal incident. So I'm going to go to my conversation with Raymond. Now, I will preface this by saying there is some sensitive subject matter. So please take care while you listen to this portion of the program. And my conversation with Raymond Daw. They're they're not pleasant. It was a a Monday night. Yeah, I think it was a Monday night. We were getting ready to, to close down our summer festival in town. So we were we were having a dance that night at one of the community halls, and I we a few of us decided 
to take a ride up to the Trans-Canada just to see if anybody was catching any salmon at Indian Arm. And as we went up and turned around, uh, by the the other side of the pond, we came back down. One of the girls looked up at me that was in the back seat. She said, Ray, there's a man on the bridge there waving his arms, jumping up and down. He must have caught a salmon. And she said, he got a fire lit. So we turned around and went back. When we got back, there was three or four cars there, and, and the accident has just happened. Jeez, you missed it by literally minutes then. Yeah, we missed it. We missed it by minutes. Now, a lady from here, a lady from somewhere around here, I'm not sure what community, was down in the, down into the brook because she was a nurse, right? Somebody was calling for a nurse, so she went down into the brook. And a couple of minutes after that, the RCMP got there and they called for volunteers to bring them up. So I naturally, I was one of the ones that went down and helped bring them up. Jesus, so you go from a festival to one of the most horrific, I'm sure, one of the most horrific scenes that you probably ever came across in your life. The most I ever come across. We, at the time, when we brought him up, we didn't know it was adorable Adrian Adamus. Because there was that much blood on his face and everything. We just, well, we figured they were wrestlers. We knew there was wrestling taking place in the stadium the next night. And we thought that they were wrestlers, but we wasn't really sure who they were, right? All we knew, that there was lots and lots of blood. Yes, and I, I'm sure, you know, you're not used to obviously seeing a situation like that. So you wouldn't have even thought to probably put two and two together of who it would have been. It was just at that point, you're kind of just hopping in the fray and helping out. Yeah. Well, that's all we're doing is hopping in the fray and helping out. That's, that's all we, that's all we did. We got down to the brook. We took the backboard with us, right? Got down to the brook and somebody had Adrian Adonis's head held up. So he wouldn't drown in the water. Right. And coming up, all he was saying was me back, me back muttering something about his back his back was bad and when we got up to the top of the to to where the bridge to where the bridge crossed the trans canada up over the up over the hill there uh that's when he started to gurgle and the doctor asked for a trach to be put in him so they put a trach in him and he died on the way to the gander hospital yeah with with the amount with the extensive injuries that he suffered it's incredible that that he made it as long as he did i know that he was in you know a horrendous shape but uh boy oh boy yeah it was in horrendous shape it was real it was real bad when you leave uh, when you leave indian arm you're going towards Gander, where the, where the nearest hospital is the first uh brook really you come to is is lake o'brien and that's apparently that's where he died on the way up i'm just topping the hill there by lake o'brien on the way to gander so obviously your your festival was your festival over that day or was there a was there a second day day and wrestling was the next night at stadium okay okay i couldn't wait i was going in to see adrian adonis oh my god yeah i'm a big wrestling fan right and I just, uh, just when I found out that night that it floored me that, that it was Adrian Adonis that got killed, right? And the other guy that lost his leg, he was screaming, mur- screaming blue murder as we were bringing him up, right? He was just crazy in pain, too. 
Yeah, that was uh, uh, one of the Kelly brothers. The, yeah, obviously one the, of the one Kelly that survived, brothers. yes. Yeah. Now, it looked like to me, when we, as we were going down to, to, to pick up Adrian Adonis, there was a body on the trail. One of the guys come out of the flew out of the van and was on the trail, and he went to work. And uh, we didn't uh, we we didn't know if he was dead or alive. Somebody from the bottom down, somebody down in the water, shouted out to us to come on down. He was dead, right? When we got back, when we come up with Adrian Adonis's body, there was uh, nobody there. Then the body was moved to one side of the trail, right? So we walked, we managed to get up, and as soon as we got up to the top, the assets come back again with another board for Kelly, one of the Kelly brothers. Yeah, the the one on the trail, that would have been the promoter, Dave McKigney, unfortunately. Yeah, I uh, don't know, I didn't know who it was, but I knew there was, I knew there was somebody. Mm-hmm. And there was one guy in the van, like it was almost like he was cut in two. His hands and everything was just dangling down, and he was in the van. That was the two that that was the two the three that died, and kept one of the Kelly brothers lived, right? Yes. Yeah, one of the Kelly brothers is, it was the survivor from the crash. Yeah. So you were actually going to go to the show the next night. I was going to the show the next night. It was a, like a big wrestling fan, and to see a WWE wrestling wrestling legend there, I mean, it's great to see right in your small community. And didn't get to go. There certainly he never had no wrestling. The tour was canceled. So, what happened after this incident? Both in terms of, because I I would like to get your sense of of what this had as an impact on the community, and what did it do to the to the wrestling scene there? Did it just was it done after that, or maybe if you, if you don't mind, if you could explain that a little bit? No, it wouldn't. It, the wrestling ones. I thought you had a speakerphone now. Go ahead. No, the wrestling, uh, the wrestling community didn't stop. We had we had wrestling events after that, for and we still do have wrestling events. I'm in the local Lions Club in town, and we've hosted them a few years when they were redoing the stadium wrestling events. And uh, I remember going in one night to sell tickets at the door for the Lions Club, and. Uh, the wrestlers were there. One of the wrestlers that was there was Doink the Clown. That was in the WWE at the time, right? He was their big name there that night. And EA mentioned to me, he said, would you be able to tell me, sir, where they, where the wrestlers got killed? Jeez. He said, I know they got killed somewhere near your community. So I, I explained to him then about the story, right? And when the, when the wrestling was over, he asked me to stay back and tell him what happened, right? So I was telling them what happened. This is the second time now I had to relive it. But it's uh, something, uh, something. I'm glad I was there to help. Too bad they, they died. But, you know, what can you do? And, yes, like I say, we did have wrestling in numerous times after that, right? And what was the effect on, on the community overall? Um, like, what, what was the feeling in the community after it happened? Because... Uh, this is not something that happens every day, very clearly. Well, it was sadness. It was sadness. A lot of sadness, especially knowing that they were coming to uh, coming to Lewisport, right, for the wrestling the next night. And uh, to me, it was a big act. It was a. It, it was a, just an accident. I mean, the stories at the time was a moose crossed the highway, right? 
But I can't say if a moose crossed the highway or not. I wouldn't be able to tell you that. All I know is that they were coming down and they jumped the brook and landed on the other side. And people came out of the vehicle. I guess when upon impact, people come out of the vehicle. One of the more probably salient moments in your life, I'm certain. Oh, it was. It was really, really bad. I had a pair of white sneakers on. And when I came up, uh, when I came up from the trail, one of the girls that was there with us, I forget her name now, she said, Ray, your sneakers are full of blood. And uh, I looked at sneakers and I said, uh, I said, well, they're going. And I had a pair, uh, I had a pair of coveralls in the trunk of the car and, uh, and a pair of, pair of boots that I had there for fishing, long rubber boots. And I got her to get me in rubber boots out of the car, and I took my sneakers off and socks, threw it in the woods, because I just couldn't couldn't take it looking at the blood, right? Yeah, I, I'm I'm yeah. not certain that I would have had a, a different different emotion than that. I'm sure. No, you had to have that emotion, and luckily, uh, luckily nobody else was on. No other vehicles were crossing the bridge when. When when they lost control, right, and went out into the went out into the brook. Yeah, it would have been that much more. Carnage. It would have been that much more tragic, right? Absolutely. And uh, buddy, buddy who fa- who was fishing there, he he came up to the bridge to uh, came up on the bridge waving for cars, and one of the girls was with me. She said to me, she said, Ray, she said, somebody back there got a fire going and is up on the bridge. Got a uh, One of the wrestling magazines at the time did a story on it, did a story on Adrian Adonis and the other wrestlers that were killed. And uh, they interviewed the RCMP in Lewisport. And I had the magazine, but ended up, my mother worked with the RCMP at the time. And... Uh, the staff sergeant of the RCMP in town couldn't get a copy of the magazine, so yeah, so I offered my copy. Oh, right? wow! Other than that, I would have had the copy, right? And like he told me, he said, Ray, I never got interviewed by a wrestling magazine in my entire police career, so I'd like to <coughs> like to get me hands on a copy. He said they were going to send me one, but they didn't. I said, Sure, John, I got a copy of that down there. I said, I'll bring them up. He said, I know you did. I said, I got a copy of that down the house you can have, so I ended up giving him my copy, right? Talk about your souvenirs. Jeez. Yeah, your souvenirs. You know, it's unreal, right? When you see a guy on TV and he's that popular, right? And then the next year you see him you see him in your hometown going going to watch him in wrestling, right? Which you were right happy about. And then you go up to just to have a bit of fun before the dance and you find out, look, you just brought that guy up out of the, out of the brook and he's going to die. Oh, yeah, I boy. Knew that. I knew he had nothing. Uh, I knew he wouldn't want to make it, right? It was only a matter of time before he got the grand, before he died, right? Now, one of the Kelly brothers, the one that lost his leg, we uh, we we knew, it seemed to us that he was going to live, right? Mm-hmm. The six of us that was bringing him up, it seemed to us that he was going to live. And he did. This is the, an- it'll soon be the anniversary in August of him. That's what I mean, yeah. So that's why I'm trying to get this, uh, put together and put out there because you know as as the story keeps getting told more of the of the facts keep getting omitted and the more more of the 
you know, sensational portions of it is what kind of remains. And it's unfortunate. And, and nobody has taken the time to really figure out, you know, what the what the people who dealt with it were dealing with. You know what I mean? No, they didn't. And no, nobody... So walked, sorry, go ahead. I walked in the house that night, right? And uh, I came in and I had... Uh, I had a pair of rubber boots on, and I was, as far as mom and dad were concerned, I was going to the stadium dance, right? To dance for the end of the season, for the end of the festival. Dad asked, he said, he said, you, you're not going, going to the dance like that. He said, you were fishing. And then I told him, I said, no, I wouldn't fishing, dad. He said, we went up to see if anybody got any salmon up the Indian arm. I said, we came across an accident. I said, there's three people killed. There's there's two people killed up the Indian arm, and I said there's two more, two more in serious condition. I said we brought them up. I said my boots are in the in the woods up the Indian arm. I threw them away. I said they're full of blood. Jesus. Yeah, it's just unreal. Yeah, I can I can see it now, like it was yesterday. Adrian Adonis down in the brook, and somebody holding his head up so he wouldn't drown. Right. And there was a crowd over by, over by one of the Kelly brothers doing the same thing, holding his head up so he wouldn't drown in the brook, right? And I, I and again, I can't, uh, I can't even put myself in that, in that position of, of being there, right? You know, even hearing it vicariously 35 years later, it's still, it's, yes. it's, it's shocking to say the least. It is shocking. Yeah, 35 years later, it's unreal. It was a brown, to me, it looked like a brown van. Uh, it looked like a brown van they were driving, right? But yes. everything was beat up on the van, right? And they were, and uh, the guy that was in the van, to me, looked like he was cut off, cut in two. But now his body was bent that bad with, with, the, with the accident that you don't know, right? But it looked like he was almost cut in two. Yeah. Oh, you could see was blood everywhere, right? And smoke coming out of the van. Jeez, that's well. I mean, obviously, I'm I'm sorry that you had to go through all that, but I'm glad at, at least that uh, you're willing to, you know, talk to me and at least put it on the record and and that I was able to get your perspective of it because, like I said, that's the one thing that's been missing in this in the whole conversation. The you know these whole 35 years is yes. is uh, is the perspective from the folks who were there. So I I want to thank you for for willing to or being willing to speak to me about it that uh... oh i'm glad i'm glad the story is told right in the youtube video that i saw about it there was an aerial picture of indian arm where it happened and they interviewed and adrian adonis's wife was interviewed right mm -hmm. nice uh for closure for the family too and the anniversary of his brought up and people they understand how how they died right i mean the way I look at it, I'm telling you how they died, right? Yes. And it's nice, nice for that to, to get out how they died. The family, the families can have closure now, right? Absolutely, yeah. And and again, the the fact, the facts of what happened, right? That's the biggest thing. Yes. Too, so, I'll tell you now. It was a clear night, beautiful night, warm. Everything was perfect, right? It was a great night in the festival, and uh, and the way I and. Uh, you can't say weather at any part in the accident. It, it didn't, right? But uh, what, whatever, whatever is, is said, they're reporting a moose. There are articles on uh, YouTube 
uh, saying that it was a that they, they swerved to avoid a moose. Which, uh, and if anybody know Newfoundland and Labrador, there's a lot of moose on the highway. I after hitting two. So, I mean, there's moose on the highway everywhere. It very well could have been a moose, right? But the way they jumped the brook and everything, they had to have been going at good speed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they had to have been going at good speed. When we, we first night got married, before I got divorced, first night I got married, we were going to Gander one night and uh, commented, and the ex-wife, nobody knew about the and knew that, that I helped bring him up, and we passed, as he passed by the, as he passed by the brook, I said, that's where the wrestlers got killed. And uh, the ex-wife said, yes, she said, they got killed there, didn't they? I said, I said, I can't pass by without thinking about it. She said, why would you think about that all the time? I said, Tracy, I, you don't know. I said, I brought them up that night when they were dying. She said, what? I said, I brought them up from the, from the brook. I said, that's why I always think about it. I said, I can't, I can't go up to Indian Arm without thinking about it. Something that she live in your memory forevermore. Yeah, and, uh, and the brother-in-law was with me that was with me that night, right? When, we, when, when, I, when I told the ex-wife that, that I was up to the accident scene. And he looked up at me, he said, we had a, he had a towing company at the time, a garage and everything down in Calvin. He said, dad had to go up, he said, and bring, bring the, the vehicle. He said, down to the garage, he said, to do an inspection for the RCMP on the vehicle. I said, I never knew that, Steve. He said, yeah. he said we had, we does inspections on vehicles and accidents for the RCMP. He said, we had to go up and tow the, tow the truck up, He's the van up, he said, and do the inspection on it, right? Mm-hmm. He said, Ray, so you're talking about people coming down around the grass to see if they can see the van. I said, well, I wouldn't come down because I didn't want to see it. And I said, I don't want to see it ever again. And he yeah, he could understand that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Now, during the course of my conversation with Raymond Daw, you would have heard about an individual who was holding the head of Adrian Adonis, keeping him as stable as possible, keeping him as comfortable as possible you also heard in raymond's story about an individual who was waving people down on the highway this individual is one of the same this individual's name is jim butler and he went into great detail about what it was like for him in this tragic situation now before we go into his conversation, this conversation contains some graphic descriptions. I have to be honest, when I was having the conversation with Jim, uh, I was not prepared for it, to hear it. So I just want to make everybody aware that there is distressing material in this uh, next conversation. However, his story deserves to be told. And I hope that you, the listener, will understand his point of view in, in describing it the way he did, but also you'll feel the cathartic nature that he felt uh, describing the incident. 
it wasn't easy for him. It was certainly not easy for me to hear. And I just want uh, you, the listener, to be prepared to hear some, like I said, distressing material as uh, we move forward in the program tonight. So with all that being said, I humbly present to you my conversation with Jim Butler. There's one thing about it, when you witness something like I witnessed, you don't ever forget it. You don't get any of the images out of your mind. I can I can look at it now and I can remember it just the same as the day it happened. And that's what's really missing from the reporting. See, now, I'm not sure if you're into wrestling or not, but... On the, on the wrestling stuff... Adrian Adonis, I used to watch him on the WWF or E, whatever it was. Yeah. The two Kelly brothers were a tag team crowd. I watched them a few times, so I knew who they were. The manager, I didn't really know. Because when I went down over the side of the highway, down over the bank and the bridge embankment to go to the people that had survived, uh, now this... I want to let you know, I can get pretty graphic with this, because I can remember it like it was yesterday. I had to step over him, his face, he was he was face down on a boulder, and when he hit that boulder, he never ever moved again, because his, basically his head and his face was all crushed when he hit at such high speed. And his hair, his hair, believe it or not, his hair was out around the boulder. He had a little bit longer hair, and his hair was right even out around the boulder, even like it was placed there. It was unreal. Jesus. And he was dead. He was face down on the boulder. His hands, his arms were out to his, a little bit from his sides, but not totally out at a 90 degrees let you stand up and just hold your arms out level with your shoulders they weren't quite out there they were probably back about 5 to 8 degrees I'll say the reason I say that is I'm a carpenter and I deal with degrees and doing things and uh, yeah I stepped over him to walk down the trail that was there a little bit he was if he would have been if he would have been another 10 to 15 feet to his right, he would have been up on the guardrail or the highway. He would have been thrown way on up to, almost up back on the highway. Where the van was to was probably down about 30, I'm going to say 30 feet, maybe 40 feet away from the bridge in there. And he was almost thrown, he was thrown probably, I'd say about 50, 60 feet away from the van. But obviously he stopped right on a boulder. And when I walked down over the bank, I'll start from the beginning and I'll tell you exactly. Me and my cousin were up there salmon fishing with fly rods, right? Yes. I'll start right from the beginning. And uh, there were fellows up further. There was a little bit of a steady there, pond-like area, where the river flows out of that pond, a little bit of a steady pond area. And then up further is where the river empties out into this area. And you could see fellows on up the river farther fishing the rapids up there. And I will say this. The RCMP in their official report said there was moose in the area and moose caused accident. 
Well, I don't know about any moose. We were there all yeah. We were there for probably, I was there probably a half an hour to three quarters of an hour before the accident. And friends of mine were, one guy that my cousin knew really well, Tom Jones. Now, this is, this is going to sound funny, but his name was Tom Jones from Camelton. <laughs> and he was up farther up in the river. And we never, ever did see any moose. None. And uh, I don't think that was the cause of the accident. If someone wanted to really know the truth, they were probably intoxicated when the accident happened. But that's that's besides the point. That's something that you wouldn't... Where it happened so long ago, you wouldn't want to hurt families or anything with that. And... Uh, but anyways, a few minutes before... We witnessed, I, me and my cousin witnessed the accident. We, I was standing up in the spot where the van hit, looking with my glasses on. I had sunglasses on with polarized sunglasses so I could see into the water a bit better. I was looking for salmon to see if I could fish them. Uh, there weren't any there, so me and my cousin walked back up over the bank that I described a few minutes ago. I went across the highway and down down river from the highway where there are bridges to probably down about I don't know I'm going to say about 50 yards was a railway trussle that goes across another bridge for the railway so we went down there where the river empties out into the larger uh, Indian arm uh, Indian arm ponds called I believe <clears throat> and we went down there and we're going checking for salmon because we could see salmon out further in the pond were breaching they were heading up river to spawn and to be honest we were fishing there for a few minutes and then we heard something we both turned around at the same time and I was standing on the trussle at this mo at this time and when I turned around I seen the van on the other side of the on the up on the highway it came along it would clip through some low-lying brush there, alders, we call them. The van just missed the side of the handrail, hitting that on the bridge. That would be the upstream side. It just missed that. As it traveled through the air across the bridge, I'm going to take a guess, and I'm going to be honest. I don't. That bridge might be replaced now, for all I know, because I've been gone from home for almost 30 years. And uh, when I was in the railway trussles down in elevation a little bit, I watched the van fly through the air, and you could see the van, the wheels below the bridge upstream, and the cab above in the handrail as it was traveling through the air. And, of course, it, it slowly went down, and it hit. It jumped the river completely, and it hit the... Uh, it hit the boulders in the bank on the other side. And I looked at my cousin, and I said, Ned, I don't know if anyone could ever survive that. We were both shocked. I immediately ran to the other side, and my pickup was cracked up on the side of the highway on the shoulder because there was pretty wide shoulders there. Actually, it was my father's pickup I was driving. And meanwhile, my cousin, Edwin Russell, he went to the... Handrail of the bridge and looked out over, 
And I went to the Irving gas station and got on the phone. And I phoned, uh, I phoned the RCMP. And I told them guys to phone the ambulance service and make sure. And right off the bat, they said, well, how many ambulances should we bring? I said, bring at least three. And I can't remember exactly how many because obviously I'd left my cousin there. By this time, uh, Tom Jones was up creating happened too. I heard the noise and seen the van and seen the whole start together. But when I got back to the river, I got over on the side of the road and parked the truck right out of the way of everybody. I went to the, uh, I walked up to the bridge and looked out over side and Tom was down in the water and this guy up at the river drowning happened to be Adrian Adams and I looked down and I looked at there were probably about eight people there in the just and the first thing which in my mind is what wrong what's wrong with these people just standing up here and no one's helping well I was lucky it was where I was in the trade school and that I also done first aid so I took off then over the bank. As I said before, I stepped over to one side because uh, the uh, but the uh, the van was beat up on the opposite side of the river. Yes. So when I stepped over, whoever well, I guess I obviously it must have been one of the Kelly brothers then that was up on the bank that I stepped over because there was another Kelly brother that was pinned in the van. And uh, now the news said that it was a, a, a Dodge minivan. That's, that was not right. A quarter-ton panel van. Full-size. Pardon? Full-size. Yeah, it was a full-size van. Yes. Now, whether it was, to be honest with you, I thought it was three-quarter-ton. Because I, when all this when I went down over the bank, I stepped over one person that was dead on the boulder. If you took a, a, a blunt-nosed van, or the one with the bit of a snout on it, it was the same thing as if you took the bumper and the engine and reversed everything. The engine was in, up on top. The bumper and all that was up on top. It was everything was in reverse when they when they hit with such force. Yes. He was pinned between the steering wheel and the bumper and everything else. And he was hanging out over the van, but he was pinned with everything in the seat and everything. And he was gone. He, was, he had died instantly as well. But one guy was out front of the van, probably about six, seven, eight feet away from about I'm gonna say about two or three inches of water. And he had a he, he had obviously got hit I believe his arm was broke or something was broken. Can't remember exactly now. But he I did notice one thing. He had a welt he had got hit in the forehead, and he had a, a bump on his forehead right on the front, about the size of a, a, a medium egg. And, but uh, he, was, he was alive. He had some. Tom Jones had placed a little something under his head so he wouldn't, his head wouldn't be on hard rocks. He was conscious, but... He was conscious, but uh, a bit incoherent. Because, I mean, he had a severe head injury. Now, Tom was holding a guy up about one-third of the way across the river. See, the, the river at this time, 
later on in the summer with the salmon going up. The river was probably, I'd say, about 16, about 16 inches deep. Wide, but 16 inches deep. So Adrian Adonis, Tom was holding him up, and Tom needed a break. So I went out, and what I done is I knelt down and sat down on my legs, and I put his his head in my lap. And I talked to him and tried to uh, console him as best as I could under the circumstances. But I know I was down, down there holding him up at the water for 45 minutes before they finally came on over the bank with, uh, with a stretcher. And then I helped uh, Freak's ambulance and the paramedics helped him get, on, get him on the stretcher. And... Uh, I don't know if you'd want me to go very graphic with his injuries, but it, I can remember. It's up to you. Like I, I don't. If it's if it's too much for you, like it's whatever you're comfortable with sharing. I I can share. I held him in my hand in my lap, and on the left side of his face, if you put your hands to open up your hands and your fingers, and you take your hand and place it over your small finger over your nose and then the rest of it your fingers net spread out over the rest of the other half of the left side of your face well all part of his nose that you wrap your finger on and everything that was touching the face down to the chin and the forehead and the eye socket around that side the skin was ripped off oh my god I could watch his eye as we were talking and conversing I was watching the muscles around his eye and the tendons moving his eyeball. Now his left arm was floating downstream. It was broken off at the wrist. And the bone was, I say, for about six inches off his arm. And like hard and broke the wrist again down over about six inches of bone. That was just floating downstream. Still attached to his arm. His chest was literally pushed, I'm going to say, a lot in a nice bit. You can see he had a lot of chest injuries because his chest was all pushed over to his left side. So I knew he had broken ribs and a mess. And his legs were the same things if you took a pretzel or making making a pretzel out of pretzel dough. His legs were all intertwined. They were all broken off. And... Uh, I mean, the poor man, he screamed in, in pain because, I mean, it had to hurt when we lift him up to put him on the stretcher. But, I mean, you had no other choice on the backboard. But I talked to him. I held him up at the water, and he asked me what happened, and I told him, you are just in an accident. I said, everything's fine. Every, the paramedics and everyone's on their way, and they're going to help me. And then they... Asked me, well, what's my family going to do? I said, that's fine. You've got lots of family that will take care of your closest ones right now. You just concentrate on getting better. You know, that's how I talked to him. As much as I could. And, I mean, if, if Tom wouldn't have went down there when he did, the man would have drowned in the river because, I mean, he couldn't get himself up or do anything. And, uh... Yeah, it was quite the scene. 
I, I, I don't even know what I... You know, you made the comment earlier about uh, you saw people standing around and kind of like they weren't doing anything. I I have to imagine uh, the think, shock that I people would have had at that point. I think a lot of it is people at this point seeing the myth wouldn't have known what to do. Mm-hmm. But... And... Uh, I helped Greg Edward be Gordon Wolfrey, and I helped him put one of the guys in the body bag after several of us. And the by time and everything, and obviously. And I thought that they were there, area that this that happened. I can't remember exactly why I'm there in the afternoon or something. I never left it and got out, got back home until one o'clock that night. Oh, you you stayed with, you stayed through the entire ordeal then? I stayed there for the entire ordeal and helped out to get the dead bodies out and everything. When it was all said and done, I uh, went flagging traffic for the air, me and a police officer went up flagging traffic because I also, on construction, I had my flagging ticket. So I flagged traffic in with uh, with them while the uh, they got the van up at a up over the bank and out of the river. But the van was only in a few inches of water because there's a little bit of a little bit of a I'm not going to call it a beach. It's probably a place there three or four feet wide that was only a few inches of water there. That's where the van was at. So how did? Sorry, go ahead. It was quite the uh, quite the ordeal. Like I can't imagine, um, you know, putting myself in your shoes, what I would have done. But I would like to think that, you know, I would have at least a, the the courage to step up and and help out where where possible. And I mean, to hear you recount all of this is to to be quite frank is is uh. It's, only, it's hard to there's hear. Only two, there's only two people I know of that were down helping uh, the victims in the water, and that was me and Tom Jones. Everyone else was up over the bank. But obviously, once the RCMP showed up and the ambulances got there, they were down there right away. Yes. And they had to go in there right away. And... Uh, yeah. Well, is Dawson Creek, Dawson Creek still alive, right? No, Ned, my cousin, Ned Russell, he never participated in, uh, in, uh, the rescue or anything, was, he wouldn't be able to, uh, he had to, uh, how can I put it? He had a, an accident early in his life with his own brother that uh, died from hypothermia oh, and he had to watch he had to watch him perish so I mean that was no so he probably wouldn't have wanted to get involved anyway mm-hmm. but you, yeah you would understand that part of it at least yeah but uh, no it was quite the quite the scene quite the thing to witness <clears throat> and like you said it's it's 35 years later and you st- like you said it's still you can I still remember pr- every, if me and you were to go back there now, I could point out to you exactly where the fan is to, 
And if they haven't changed the bridge or disturbed any of the scenery, I could probably, now no doubt the bushes and everything is growing up there a lot now probably, I could show you, if nothing is disturbed, I could show you the rock that one victim was sprawled out around. I could show you where each one was laid out. And, uh, yeah. It, Jesus, what a memory you, to have. I don't know if you had any... Well, later on that evening when we were cleaning up everything and cluing up, some of the wrestlers all of a sudden pulled up that uh, just came up on the scene. And by this time, everyone in the bodies had been removed and that, and they were going to start uh, winching the van out. This was another party, I think it was three, maybe four of them. But one of them got pretty, was pretty distraught and saying all kinds of things and and I just uh, I just said to him sorry for your loss and only suffering I said that that guy just went circ he was gonna get ready to go and fly right aboard me and pound right into me <laughs> jeez <laughs> and uh, two of his friends had to grab him out and haul him back and drag him back to the car and they said thank you for what you said thank you for your condolence for your sympathy and we'll get this jack on the jackass. I don't know. <laughs> they dragged them back. They dragged them back to the car and drove me to get in and let them out. But anyway, I, I mean, I suppose that's a little bit of levity in such a, a horrific situation. Well, you never expected someone to be able to tell you exactly what happened like that, did you? Absolutely not. You know, I have a, a few conversations that I've had already, and then I've I have a few more to get to, but. I have a feeling that uh, this one is more than likely the most disturbing. Not in in, in the sense of in the sense of being there and having information. To absolutely. The point that I can describe everything. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing with you, you know. This story has been told and retold so many times, but every time it's told, it's told with less accuracy and with with less participation from the people who were there right people like yourself have nobody's ever gone out and learned what learned what what the people who witnessed it went through you know what i mean and that's the that's the thing that's been missing from this conversation for the last 35 years and that's that's my whole reason for doing this so i i truly appreciate the the I mean, I don't know what it would be like to talk about something like that because I've never experienced... Like, I've experienced well, some I've, stuff, but nothing like I've that lived, in my life. I've lived with these pictures in my mind for so long now that... Yeah, it's just... It was a nasty scene, I'll tell you. For someone 20 years old. Well, absolutely, and... and when was it, when did this, I can't even remember what year this happened. 88, June, uh, July 4th, 1988. Okay, that's when I just had gotten out of trade school, so I was 19 years old, huh? 19 or 20, yeah. And what, what a scene, what a, what a, just an event for someone of, of that age to witness and go through, I mean, my God, 
<laughs> what can you say, right? That's incredible. Yeah. And the funny thing about it is if I came up on an accident and had to do it again, I would. I think that speaks more to your character, sir, than, than anything I could possibly say to you. I just I, I'm just in awe with you, with your story and what you accomplished. The sad thing about it that what what affected me the most is while I was holding Adrian Adonis in my lap and holding and his hand cradled in my lap, his head cradled in my lap, keeping it up out of water is uh, obviously a short term memory was to was affected by the injuries because he kept on every now and then he'd ask me what happened and uh, I experienced that when my father had his uh, head injury with the horse he asked me what happened I said you just had a little accident with the horse you stay still he said I can't move and I, I told my father I said stay still help is on the way and that's all I said to him <clears throat> and uh, yeah, they uh, it was quite the quite the place. What can I say? From it probably, I was only probably about five to six minutes away from Lewisport Junction. Uh, I wasn't taking my time either getting there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I put on the hazard lights and I just floored it. And I was saying, now, what if the cops catches me and pulls me over? I'm not stopping for nothing. In mm -hmm. LRI water, I'm going to get on that phone. Well, then you can drag them there, too. If, if I drag cops there, I'm going to say, okay, get out, turn around and get back to the accident scene up the road and do some good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have, uh, I've told a few people that story over the years. But this is the first time I sat down and uh, went into, uh, described it right from start to finish. From being there, because uh, obviously if, if we would have stayed there and fished, I would have been still up right where the van hit. And I would have been probably under the van. Jesus, and, and there's another thought. I, I would have been dead as well. It's only by God's grace that I walked up over the bank me and my cousin, we both walked down to the other uh, railway trussle down just downstream for a few yards and went and uh, we're up standing up on the trussle and we're going to just going to start to get ready to haul out the rods and put them together and fish when we heard the noise. And that was when the tars hit the gravel on the opposite side of the highway up there, the gravel shoulder, and then the van clipped through the haulers and just missed the pet guardrail and went whatever. Yeah. Well, grace of God is right. I, I mean, you talk about uh, fate. You know what I mean? That's that's uh, that's. But I was, you know, their 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 families might have had lots of questions and would have had lots of questions, probably still do have lots of questions. But whether they would have the detail that I could give them, I doubt it. Or whether Perhaps. they would want to hear it is, I guess, I suppose that's the other portion of yeah, it. Yeah, that's, that's the other thing. 
was they probably wouldn't want to know at this point in time because they'd only be bringing up their, their feelings again. Mm-hmm. And you know, and that's I'm kind of walking the fine line on this program because you know you don't want to sensationalize it which I'm trying not to, but at the same time, you know, you can only see a story, you know, reprinted, you know, factually incorrect and, and, you know, leaving out key details and, and whatever for so, and I mean, it's been 35 years and, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't want anyone. uh, How can I put it? It, it, if, if you were to go into graphic detail like I thought, like I just told you, I don't know what that would do. I, I it'd be it'd be rough on the families, people here. But yeah, they uh, it was an unfortunate accident. There's no doubt about that. The next conversation that you're going to hear in tonight's episode is also the last one, but it is possibly the most impactful one. And that's not to take any of the way anything away from the two previous guests, but this individual was the responding RCMP officer on the scene that night in Lewisport. Now, now Joanne Boissonneau has full clearance from the RCMP to discuss this file. She actually was able to get her original files and reference them directly during the course of our conversation. She provides almost a clinical overview of what happens. And I don't mean that in terms of an emotionless or, or a disconnected view, but she really lays it on the line. She fully explains what happened, why it happened, But most importantly, the truth of why this accident occurred. And you will understand throughout the course of our conversation that this truly was, in essence, a tragic accident. So I hope that you will really enjoy as much as you can considering the... the, dark nature of this episode but i hope that you will really appreciate the candor and the expertise in which joanne describes what happened that evening as she was the responding rcmp officer on the scene that night yeah um well it was it was pretty gruesome so for us with time we get we get used to it. Um, however, I can only imagine for a civilian uh, to come upon a scene like that definitely was traumatizing. And that's one of the reasons why it took so long for us to find out exactly what had happened. Yes. Uh, so anyway, I'm not sure who you spoke with. So all I can tell you is what I have from memory and from my, my notes. Cause I, I dug out my, um, Actually, I've had it out for a long time. My uh, notebook from back in the day. Yes. Because I would say about 15 years ago or so, I had gone on uh, Facebook 
and I googled Adrian Adonis and anyway they were showing pictures of Indian Arm and where the accident happened and I was reading the notes and I thought okay they got the story totally wrong so I contacted Wikipedia and via text and stuff anyway I told them I said look I have the information first-hand information and but they wouldn't take anything from me because I told them I said the facts that you have there are not well what you're stating there is not fact yes it's not what happens so anyway but they wouldn't take anything because for me I always like setting the record straight not just for me but also for Adonis's wife because I had been in contact with her so you know I just want people to know what happened and not all this surmising if you will yes so. and that then that's my whole purpose of doing this and program in itself because they're you know we're coming up on 35 years it'll be 35 years yeah. in, in july and you know as the story has been told and retold and facts are are left off the table and then other uh suppositions are added and it's kind of diluting yeah. the story and then what's also missing is the first-hand experience of the people who were involved they're completely left out of the conversation yes and I'm, and I'm sure um, the ones who were, especially the ones fishing there at the time, who actually held it on us, uh, would have been traumatized. Yeah, and I've spoken to uh, two of them already who were physically okay. in, in the in the water and dealing with, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. And that was a hard, that was a hard conversation to hear, for sure. I bet, yeah, I bet. So, you want you want to start from the beginning? Yes, please. Let's start for, uh, uh, at the beginning. Whatever you're you are comfortable at for a starting point. Okay. Um, so it's July fourth, and uh, it's Lewis Board Days. It's it's a long weekend, and the uh, wrestling company was supposed to come and wrestle that weekend uh, in Lewisport. They were staying in Gander. So at 10 o'clock in the morning, we had the parade. So I escorted the parade. Um, Lewisport Detachment was a nine-member unit at the time. But because of transfers, vacation, and we had two members away in Bay Despair, which is about 185 kilometers from Lewisport, um, there was some uh, unrest at the First Nations um, uh, area. So... It left myself and my sergeant at the, at the office for the entire day. So at about 20 to 10 p.m., I received a call of an injury MVA on uh, the Trans-Canada Highway at, at Indian Arm. So I got to the scene. It was almost 10 o'clock, 10 p.m. And that was the year that we had uh, double daylight savings time. Uh, Newfoundland had done a an experiment, if you will. And so it was still very much light out, even though it was 10 o'clock at night. So when I got there, um, I could see the van was in, in the brook. Now, contrary to what is said on some of the sites, it was not a deep ravine. It was not a deep cliff. Uh, it, and the water wasn't deep. It was a little over ankle deep it wasn't knee deep or anything 
So when I get there, um, first of all, the layout of the land, you have the highway going straight through. It's on a straight stretch. And you come up to a small, it's a bridge with a, a brook running underneath. So the van hit the rocks on the left-hand side. They were traveling uh, toward from Gander towards Lewisport. So they're on the left-hand side in the direction of Lewisport, and they hit the rocks on the other side of the bridge. And then Dave McGinley, who was the, I don't know if he was the owner, the manager of um, Big Bear Promotions. Yeah, he was, was the owner, yeah. He was the owner, okay. Because they, they called him the bear man or bear. So he was, upon impact, he was immediately ejected. He took out the whole windshield and he was ejected on, on the rocks. And um, his body was mangled. So when the van hit like this, it then went sideways, which the side door opened and in the passengers in the part of the Q van were Adrian Adonis and William Arco. So William Arco is also known as William uh, or Mike Kelly. Yes. Because there's Patton in um, Mike Kelly, the Kelly twins. Victor Arco was the driver and William uh, Arco was a passenger with Adonis. So William and Adonis are ejected sideways from the van and the van comes to a rest i would say about let's say 75 feet from where the rocks had hit it's a ford econoline van flat nose that we called it so it wasn't one of those vans that had a long nose or anything it was just like short so victor arco also died on impact his body was hanging over uh, the steering wheel and partially outside the van. Okay. Adonis is in the brook and he's slightly disfigured when I get there. And one of the fishermen, and I, I don't remember his name, um, one of the uh, guys that was fishing is holding Adonis's head. So at one point, I get over and I'm holding Adonis's head and he is just, he's screaming, he's in pain. So I look around and I said, okay, I said to the fisherman, keep holding his head, ambulance is on its way. So I, I, I wade through the brook and I go to William Urkel, who is suffering from a compound fracture to one of his legs. And that was, he was the least injured. So um, help comes along, so we that we escort after the the investigation. Two of the bodies were uh, escorted to the Grand Falls Hospital because that's where the autopsies were going to take place. Adrian Adonis was still very much alive, okay. Um, although his body was pretty mangled because he coded twice. They were sending the injured to Gander, and the deceased to Grand Falls. Okay. So. Um, 
Adonis coded twice on the way to the hospital. We found out later that his back was broken in three different places. He had a ruptured spleen and several other organs were like, he, there was no chance of survival, but he was alive when we took him out of the, uh, out of the brook. And it took six of us to, to take him up because he was about 300 pounds. So he was a, he was a big man. And plus we're going up, up the creek type of thing. So, um, the investigation was difficult because we were being given um, their stage names, not their real names. So um, at one point it was, uh, I'm in Grand Falls, Newfoundland around one o'clock in the morning because I have to secure the bodies in the morgue and wait for the um, autopsies in the morning. Um, so in the meantime, around one o'clock in the morning, I get a phone call from the Gander Hospital advising us that um, Keith Allen Frankie is deceased. And we kind of looked at each other and said, well, who is he? Because we didn't have Adonis's real name. So anyway, we find out it's uh, Adonis and we went, okay, well, that's a problem because the autopsies are done in Grand Falls. So anyway um i can't even remember if he was transferred there or what happened uh because it is 35 years ago and it was complete ma'am i remember our shift finished at five o'clock in the morning and already uh, the world the wrestling world was calling our detachment we we received calls from all over the world japan australia um they all wanted to know what had happened when I got to the scene, of course, like any other accident scene, our car is in both directions. Grand Falls is about 40 miles in one direction, and, and uh, or 45, and then um, Gander is about 40 miles in the other direction. As I said, I was working by myself. The sergeant was in Lewisport, and it took a while before um, backup came. Um, eventually, the backup did come and so we were in the process of clearing the bridge once the, the the injured and the bodies were looked after and we were clearing the bridge saying unless you're a witness to help identify or, or tell us what happened you need to get off the bridge type of thing so <clears throat> we took this the statements that we could at the time and or the the witnesses that were available. It would take, I'm not sure if it was eight or nine months, but unbeknownst to us at the time, because we did put out a blurb asking um, people if they had witnessed the accident, because the guys in the brook had heard the impact, but they didn't know what happened leading up to the accident. Yes. This is what we were trying to find out. So, um, I got transferred in the meantime, February 1st, I was out of there and I went to New Brunswick. Um, when I came back for court, it was then that I was told that um, a mother and her daughter had finally come forward. They had been in therapy because they had been traumatized. And they do remember me asking them, unless you're a witness, please leave the scene because it was complete ma'am. And 
they weren't in a position. They were so traumatized they couldn't come forward. They couldn't verbalize uh, what, had what happened. they had. That's right. So it took months uh, for us to finally be able to determine that what happened was the van carrying Bear, Victor Arco, William Arco, and Adonis were on their way from Gander to go see the venue and sort of like a meet and greet of Lewisport days. And on their way there, uh, Victor Arco was the driver. Um, he was passing four vehicles, which were all towing travel trailers. And remember I said it was still light out, even though it was 9.30, 20 to 10 at night. Uh, the sun was setting. And um, he probably didn't see that there was an oncoming vehicle until it was too late. He didn't have room to go back in between the cars and the trailers. So he went on the left-hand side of the road. And at the time, that the shoulders were not paved. So he was on gravel, probably going at quite a clip, okay? And um, he basically ran out of road. When he came up on the where the bridge was, there's no more shoulder. So that's when he went to the left of the, the bridge, hit the rocks, and then Bear was ejected, and the other two were ejected sideways as the van uh, slid sideways. So I have read, I have seen on Facebook that they were saying, you know, um, the, the people in behind, because there were two vehicles, but the, the people from the um, wrestling uh, troop were also following uh, the Arco van. And the rumor was that there was a theft and they were running after the money and this and that. It's not true. There was a theft of money, but it happened well after the accident. Um, this is public knowledge. Robert Stanley James was in the vehicle behind. I'm not sure what his role was in the uh, wrestling company, um, but he seemed to know that there was money. After the accident, after I went back to the office, and finally two of my colleagues had come back from Beta Spare, so they were giving me a hand with the investigation, um, I received a call from B. Frankie, which is Adonis's wife, and she was the one to tell us that uh, Adonis had money, a considerable amount of money, it was $6,000, because he had spoken to her and he told her he, she, he had the money. So um, she had said it was in a gray pencil case, and he probably had it with him. So I said, okay, so we went through the van before it was uh, taken for a full mechanical, which is standard procedure in a, in a fatal, um, but there was nothing there. So I went home at five o'clock in the morning and I was thinking, okay, because, hang on a second. Trying to see. The next day, at um, it was ten after seven. 
Robert Stanley James and um, a guy by the name of Dalziel, D-A-L-Z-I-E-L. They were part of the wrestling crew and they came in to the office and they wanted some of the exhibits turned over to them. Those were the exhibits we had uh, seized from McGinley and Victor Arkel. There was money um, taken off um, Victor Arkel. There was about $430. And that's when Robert James mentioned the stolen, the, not the stolen at the time, but he mentioned about the um, missing money in the gray pencil case. And um, I told him I was aware of the money because B, um, Frankie had called us. Um, so uh, James, I'm reading from my notes here. James stated the amount was considerable. Uh, James and Dalziel wanted three items from the exhibit seized in the van at the scene. No valuables involved. So when I asked James if they were taking uh, William Marco's effects, James stated no, that they weren't relatives because William, his his um, twin, was still alive and he was at Gander Hospital. Uh, but they still took they took Arco's money, the four hundred and thirty dollars. They took that and then they left. They were on their way to Port of Vast to take the ferry. Um, so after that. I went to Gander Detachment. We were, uh, they were transferring uh, blood samples uh, to see if there was any alcohol in uh, Victor Arco's um, system. And um, then I went through Adonis's things, and there was no money found. The gray pouch was there, but it only contained the passport and the wallet, but no money. And I remember. Um, Adonis, not Adonis, sorry. Robert James was saying, yeah, it was, in, it was in a gray pouch, but, you know, it was in the van. He had it underneath the seat, and maybe it went out with the current of the brook, and it would have gone in, in the bay. And it was just too convenient, you know, and they say your spider senses are tingling. So um, I went home at 3 a.m. that second day, um, and I wrote in my notes, I get the feeling James has missing money. He was insisting Adonis had the pouch with him at the accident, but it was in his luggage, and I just wrote suspicious. So then, after I got home at 3 o'clock in the morning, as a police officer, your mind never stops. So I'm in my uh, kitchen, and I'm doing dishes, and I'm thinking, where would he have put the money? And being, I thought, okay, what about a safety deposit box? So um, I also called the ferry in Porto Basque and left a, a message at the counter for the ferry for uh, Robert James to call me back. I wanted a description of the pouch. So the next day, at quarter to nine in the morning, uh, I came in to return uh, Robert James's call. He was on the ferry uh, leaving Porto Basque. So that's when I called. Um, the Holiday Inn in Gander and spoke to the person in charge and they did confirm that uh, Adonis did have 
safety deposit box. And indeed, Robert James is the one that signed out the belongings from the safety deposit box. So we immediately called the Sydney Mines Detachment and advised them of what was going on. And we had them arrest Robert James. And he was eventually brought back to Gander Detachment, uh, where he did admit taking the money and he, he was charged. So the theft of the money that's being um, uh, advanced as a, a cause of why the vans were going fast or whatever, it's, it's not true. Uh, the, the, the theft happened after uh, the accident and it, it, it didn't involve money. It was simply an accident where they were passing four vehicles, did not have enough room to go in before with the oncoming car coming and they basically ran out of shoulder on the left hand side. So now Robert James was charged for theft. I can't recall what his sentence was. But I do recall myself and uh, Constable Perry Nickerson, uh, who was there as well, and we had said, it doesn't matter what he gets, because I'm sure when he gets out, the wrestling world will take care of him, type of thing, because what he had done was basically stolen money from a dead body and try to pass it off as, you know, oh, the money went down the, you know, went down the brook, so... In a nutshell, that's what happened. That's uh, mind-boggling to Isn't hear. That? Yeah, and you yeah. know the the theft of the money aspect of this is obviously the crash is disturbing, but that's almost as disturbing because, like you said, you know you're you're essentially robbing a, a dead man. And, and, exactly. and, and, you know, it's not like, you know, Adrian Adonis w- wasn't married, didn't have kids or anything like that. So you're not only stealing from him, you're also stealing from them. I mean, that's, uh, yeah, it's hard to hear. Yeah, it was, um, it wasn't my first fatal, but it was my first triple fatal. And it was it was involved but i'm i'm happy to see that we were able to resolve it especially for his widow and at the time i didn't know he had a son um i only found that after um but yeah because six thousand dollars 35 years ago was a lot of money still is today yeah but um, I'm glad we were able to come to a, you know, at least give B Frankie that type of comfort, um, knowing that that aspect, because she, she was worried about the money. And I, I, we felt at the time that if she's asking for it that bad, she needed the money. So I'm, I'm glad to have this opportunity to finally uh, write the facts. Because even when this thread started, my sister-in-law, who lives in Lewisport, she's the one that sent me the thread. or the, And I also had another friend send me the, the link to your page. And I have been wanting to 
just get the facts out, you know, and, and dispel all these myths around, um, you know, always a moose and always deep in a ravine. And it's just, it's not that. And actually my uh, niece owns the piece of land right adjacent to, they have a cabin and they have it as an Airbnb and um, they have a right up there to say what, you know, about the accident and stuff. And I'm not even sure she has all these facts that I just told you today. So I think she's one of the ones who responded on the, on the post as well. Cause I recall somebody was talking about that. They own the property. It's an Airbnb now. But Julie Wolfrey. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because I also know on the thread there was uh, one of the guys I interviewed was uh, uh, Donald Jones. Uh, he was a witness, and he wrote on the thread that, yeah, he says, I remember being interviewed by the police, and I said, I'm the one that interviewed you. He said, yes, he said, I remember. Um, yeah, he's so, one of the ones I'm still um figuring out to get into contact with okay yeah yeah Yeah. there's there's been a few i'm waiting on messages back to figure out because you know dealing with time zones and all that is tricky but uh but i i'm trying to get as many of the well i'm trying to get everybody who said that they would talk in involved because i think that that's the least i can do on my end of it all uh, yeah. And then there are others who have sent me messages. They don't want to. Um, they didn't want their uh, audio used or whatever, but they wanted their thoughts, you know, kind of put on the record and, and their experience kind of put on the record. So, I'm I'm kind of doing the fill in for for them as well because not everybody's comfortable just talking about it. Some people are more comfortable, you know, firing off an email, for example. So, I'm yeah. I'm happy to accommodate that way. Uh, so one thing I wanted to ask, and this will spark maybe a different conversation then was you had mentioned that obviously the autopsies were performed. I'm assuming toxicology was performed on the driver. Uh, so whether or not you are allowed to say anything, I'm not sure about that but that's one of the rumors was obviously that drugs and alcohol were involved as a direct result of or that directly resulted in a crash yeah um i can tell you that there was no drugs um and i can't remember as far as the alcohol I can tell you, though, that the alcohol consumption wouldn't have been at a level of impairment. And if if memory serves me right, he had not been drinking. And I remember William Arco was um, alive, and I remember I interviewed him, okay? But he and Adonis were sitting in the back. They were not paying attention to what was going on in the front okay so they they were conversing uh with each other but they william anyway because um 
Adonis passed away before we could even interview him. Um, but William Arco could provide zero as far as, you know, um, what, what led up to the actual accident. But I know that impairment was not, uh, it was not, it was not a factor. Because one of the, and this kind of goes to the moose narrative that was going yeah. around. And I had, I, like I said, I've already spoken to several people who were there and they all say, no, there was no, there was no moose there, not even close. Uh, no. A couple of the salmon fishers, they were there for hours. They never saw anything like that. So to me, almost immediately, it seemed like the moose was a cover story for, um, for, you know, making it seem like the driver didn't do anything wrong. So in that regard, I can, I can understand that's why I asked a question about impairments. Because regardless of being impaired or not, you know, if you're passing four vehicles at a high rate of speed, coming around a bend, there's an oncoming car, like, the, this is a recipe for disaster. It was. It was pure and simple, uh, pure and simply, and it was an accident. Um, we didn't have really accident reconstructionists back in the day, but we did go back and see where the sun was setting and it would have been in his field of vision at the time around 9 30 in, in the evening and it just made perfect sense when the, the the lady and her daughter came forward and said you know like he was passing and being in a van you know how it is sometimes you can pass a vehicle but you don't necessarily see that there are three in front. Yes. You know, you would be seeing one vehicle towing, but then he was committed and he he didn't have an out. He couldn't get back in to the lane of traffic. So for him, it was, I got to go left. And not being from Newfoundland, I uh, wouldn't have known that, you know, necessarily the layout that it's gravel, but he's running out of road. And he just went over the, because you know, okay. So you have the, the highways here, the bridges here. Okay. Yes. So you have granite boulders here and you have granite boulders there. Well, he flew over the first boulders, but he hit head on crossing the brook, which is probably 30, 40 feet, 40, 50 feet, something like that. It's not a very wide brook. Okay. So he jumps over the first granite rocks, but he goes head on to the other one. Because I remember when I went in the brook, I slid off the rocks, the granite rocks, and the windshield had um, exploded on those rocks. And when I did, when I slid down, because there's one guy there from uh, uh, the, the wrestling company, who's grabbing me and he's grabbing my arm and I've got multi, multi cuts on my fingers because the windshield had exploded on those rocks. And there's glass everywhere. Yeah. And I also remember it was the time of AIDS and being, I was losing weight and I actually got tested for AIDS because I thought, Oh my God, you know, but it was, um, it, it was an accident. 
there wasn't a moose. It wasn't liquor related. Uh, it was an accident. Well, I appreciate clearing that up because that obviously dispels all the rumors right there. You know? Yeah. Because even on on your thread there, I, I had seen people say, yeah, I remember it was a Dodge van. No, it was a Ford Econoline van. It was flat nose. You know, it was navy blue in color and it had a side sliding door because that's where Adonis and uh, William Marco were ejected from. So. So that's it. Do you have any other questions? <laughs> I, I don't think so, unless there's something that we didn't cover that you think should be added to the but I mean we covered a lot of ground yeah um no that's really what I wanted was to just set the record straight so the facts are out there and yeah it gives me peace of mind as well well I'm obviously I'm I've I feel for you that you had to go through this experience. I mean, I, whether or not you're an RCMP officer, you're a human being. And, you know, to, to hear everybody be open and candid about what happened, it's, it, it affects me as well. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm not a journalist. I don't know how to handle stuff like this. I'm just somebody who's trying to to do the right thing and, and set something right. And, you know, I, I had conversations yesterday and I had to take a long break because it was, you can only hear it and, and, and listen to it for so much until it's, you just kind of emotionally shut down. And I, for, for you being there, I mean, heroic is probably the softest term I can use, but like my goodness, the, the the strength of character that you have, um, I I don't know. You have me speechless. I'm I'm not normally this for Clemt, but you you've done it to me. So I, I I just I can't thank you enough for for being willing to to discuss this. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity. Before we wrap up for tonight, I just once again, from the bottom of my heart, want to thank Jim, Joanne, and Raymond for their contributions to today's episode. Once again, their strength of character is unmatched, and they all three had me in awe of, of them as individuals. So to the three of you, thank you so much. This episode would not have happened without the three of you. Point blank, period. I also want to thank the other individuals from the Lewisport Facebook group who were so gracious in responding to me, uh, providing me with some details that were included in today's episode, and who were really receptive to you know, a guy from Winnipeg just trying to do the right thing to to uncover the truth of what happened on July 4th, 1988, and uh, to present it to the world. And I hope that 
I have done a good job in relaying these stories to everybody uh, who is listening tonight. So, once again, I understand that tonight was a hard episode to listen to. Truthfully, this was one of the most uh, emotionally draining episodes that I've uh, I've done for Grappler with Canada. I have to be honest with that. In saying that, I can't imagine what the individuals who were there, three of which you heard today, what they have went through and what they continue to go through. So I, for the three of you, again, Joanne, Raymond, and Jim, I hope that you can find some comfort, some solace in sharing your story. And for the individuals who I have been in contact with who didn't want to come on the program, I understand that. It's not easy to talk about. But I hope that you will have some sort of cathartism from this episode and have a chance to heal. If anybody gets anything out of this episode, it's a chance to heal, I hope, truthfully, for anybody who was involved in the incident at Lewisport. That's all that I can hope for and pray for 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 each of you. And I especially want to thank you, the listener, for taking a chance on a heavy episode. And once again, I hope that you will go to your way to uh, share this episode and uh, get the truth out there. You know, now that everything is on the record, hopefully we can we can set things right and tell the world, you know, a horrible accident happened that claimed three lives and changed hundreds more, thousands more. And at least now the truth is finally out there for everybody to to hear and to understand. So Thank you very much for listening. This has been your episode of Grappling with Canada. This episode was written, researched, produced, and recorded by me, Andy the Taxman. You can find Grappling with Canada on all major podcasting platforms. Please make sure to rate and review five stars where available. You can also find Grappling with Canada on all major social media platforms. Just search Grappling with Canada on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. If you are willing and able to financially support Grappling with Canada, you can find links to PayPal and buymeacoffee.com on the Linktree link in today's show notes. You can also find links to the Grappler with Canada merchandise store in the show notes for today's episode. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with your friends and family. This is Andy the Taxman saying, thank you very much for supporting and listening to this program. Take care of yourselves and each other.